Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Now, word of God time. If you are new to church, uh, I owe you a colossal apology because we're doing topical preaching right now, which means today it's, we're talking about service. There are no slides today, so you visual learners, you can uh, throw tomatoes at my car later. Um, in topical preaching, instead of taking seven or eight verses and saying, God, what are you saying in here? You, you ask yourself a question, like, what is service biblically? And that question could lead you anywhere in 66 books. So if you're new to the Bible, I never want to say this, but I have to. You might just quit today. You might leave that Bible closed sitting next to you because those of us who know the word, we're just going to be flipping to one place to the next, and you're going, oh my gosh, how do they know all... You know, it's not fair. She was in Awana, and I'm not. And so she knows where all the verses are. Um, We're going to be in a number of places because we're asking the question, what is it to serve God and to serve people, our third core value? Connect in authentic relationships is our first. Grow in Christian maturity is our second that we talked about last week. Next week, we'll be go and tell people about Jesus, our fourth. Today is third. Serve God and others. Uh, Core values are essentially asking an identity question. Who are we as a church? What are, because behaviors can give identity, right? (laughs) I had an interesting conversation with a police officer a number of years ago, and I I asked him, why do you think when it is so easy to steal a candy bar from a 7-Eleven or from a gas station, why is it that the vast majority of people do not steal the candy bar? And and I I was just, I was was interested in some things he had said. And he said, oh, that's easy. People don't want to view themselves as a thief. I don't want to view myself that way. So I'm, actually, I'm not paying you $1.50 for a Snickers bar. I'm paying you $1.50 so I don't have to view myself as a thief. Holy cow, right? So behavior and identity can go back and forth like a left foot and a right foot. So as core values, when I, when I submit to you four core values that are all verbs, these are behaviors that kind of create identity, this is who we are as a people and as an individual. And there's a degree to which it's true the other way around. I love Jesus, therefore I do these things. It's kind of both. It's kind of both. So here's my opening statement. I gave you guys an opening statement last week. It's a bit of an extrapolation of what it is I'm trying to say when I say grow in Christian maturity. For serve God and others, here's a sentence that was bouncing around in my heart all week. I, de- I declared a statement about us, ARCF. And here's the statement. I would put this on the wall and just in big font. Here, it's normal to give God's kingdom the first and best of our passion, energy, creative, creativity, and time. Here, that's normal. Not weird, not exceptional. Somebody's not a super Christian because they give God their best and first. No, that's called being a Christian. So, well, allow me to prove it. First blank. Those of you guys who have sermon notes, you've got a blank to fill in. Everyone worships, so I must decide. Everyone worships. This is one of the biggest lies of the modern world, to think that there are religious people. We, help, we call that persons of faith. And then there's other groups of people. They apparently don't have to put faith in anything. 
which is ludicrous. Now, everyone worships. Go with me, those of you with the fast thumbs, go with me to Joshua 24. Let's take a look real quick. And what Joshua says, he is old, he is about to die. Joshua 24, we're going to start at verse 14. He is kind of giving his farewell address to Israel. He has led for a lot of years. Joshua 24, 14. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. How many times is he going to say the word, the word serve? Even in like three sentences, I think we've seen it four times. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. Is that true? Yeah, you don't have to go to Sunday school more than twice to know that was the emotions of the moment. And I'm not judging. I do this all the time. Anybody had a really good Thursday night Christian camp experience and you're 16 years old and you're crying, everybody's crying. I'm never going to do this, that, or the other again. The next week, you're doing it again. Okay. We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness along among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. They keep saying the word serve, but to you and I, that might sound a lot like worship because they keep talking about gods. Maybe it's the same thing. You and I would probably say worship, probably, if we're analyzing Christianity and Hinduism and atheism and secular humanism and Islam, we'd go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm considering the different religions and perspectives and I'm going to choose one. The Bible says in that you're not just choosing a list of doctrines that you agree with. Oh, I agree with this, I agree. Choose who you're going to serve. Choose who you're going to serve, like behavior is going to flow out. So, for example, your friend comes to you one day and says, hey, I have converted to Islam. Oh, you're a Muslim now. Okay. So you pray five times a day. Well, I, no, not really. I mean, I think about it once or twice. Oh, okay, so you don't eat pork. Oh, no, I love bacon. I love bacon. Couldn't give that one up. Oh, okay, so you give alms. 2% of your income goes to the poor. Well, you know, I have a couple of charities that I like, but 2%, that's, you know, that's a little bit extreme. I, I think I'll just... Wait, so... What does it mean to you that you say you converted to Islam? Because all of the things that Muslims all over the world say that they are devoted to you don't sound like you're going to do any of them. See, to worship is to serve. To worship is to serve. 
My behavior is going to show if I really have chosen a deity to worship. My behavior is going to prove it. Usually our behavior proves that we worship ourselves. I'm so glad I came to church today. Everyone worships, so whether you're kicking the tires of the Christian faith or you've loved Jesus for a really long time or some other, some other place that you're at spiritually, I, I just need you to know God is so clear. He made us worshipers because that's what we're actually created for. Um, as Church of God, we're supposed to be non-credal, so I'm not supposed to talk to you about the Westminster Catechism, but it's just too good. Um, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters came up with an unbelievable question and an unbelievable answer in that catechism as to what is the purpose of humanity. The question says this, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that your child learns when they learn the catechism, to glorify God and enjoy him always. Amen. Hallelujah. Like that's a human being's purpose. Now, a catechism doesn't give you truth. A catechism is trying to say, this is what we believe the Bible teaches, right? So they weren't just making that up. They believe that the whole Bible is showing us a human being's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him, to be infused with joy at the knowledge of your creator, not to be grumpy going along, well, God made me do this and God made me do that. No, 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 guys. Everyone worships. Just own it. Just admit it. Your first and best is going to something. Your first and best is going to someone or something. Secondly, for you note takers, humans give their first and best to their object of worship. Humans give their first and best to their object of worship. Again, could be an idea, could be a person. Go to, with me to Deuteronomy 26. Deuteronomy 26. They didn't say we were going to do Old Testament today. This is hard. Deuteronomy 26, 1. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession and you have conquered it and settled there, put some of your secondary leftovers aside into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship. Did I read that right? No? Isn't God just a little bit self-centered, asking for my very first? Who does this guy think he is, creator of the world? Put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. So he doesn't just determine the offering, he determines the time and location and method of how worship is supposed to happen. Holy cow, are Americans not excited about these verses? Because I like to say, I'm a Christian, and I will obey God the parts that I like in the ways that I like at the time that I like. Because Burger King has trained me since I was four to have it my way. And then God comes along and laughs. Who's God? If I drive up and you say, I'm going to have it my way, who's God? The consumer is God in America. 
The consumer is God. So the burbs have you and I totally trained that we are God. It offends us when God starts speaking like he's God. Every part of it offends us. I'm supposed to be offered a menu of options. Hmm. Verse 3, Go to the priest in charge at, the to- at that time and say to him, With this gift I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. You must then say in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean and went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. When the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and powerful arm with overwhelming terror. Anybody here like that word? I want to tell my friend about Jesus, but the Bible keeps saying God is terrifying. Yeah, if you decide to fight him. Right? Chuck Norris is nice. If he comes over and he's signing autographs, like, oh, Chuck Norris is here. But if you throw a fist, you know, what happens next is your problem. So verse 9. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, God, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground in worship before him. Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you. What, you hear that? I'm not... Mad that I gave God 10%. I'm going to go celebrate <laughs> that the, the ground produced anything. We forget Genesis 3. That ground is cursed. My paycheck is cursed. My relationship with my boss is cursed. My relationship with my company is cursed. Thank God I have a job. So I give him 10% and I walk away not griping about the 10, but thrilled about the 100% that he gave me in the first place. Huh. Who'd have thought Deuteronomy had a purpose? Guys, we're going to give our 10% to something or someone. Our passion is going to go to something. Our time is going to go to something. So I'll out myself. Not that I've participated, but I would love to. I've told you guys many times I'm a nerd. Hardcore nerd. So there's this World War II simulation called Axis and Allies. It's a table game. It's not a computer game. Just a table game of World War II. And I love this game. Every year in Indianapolis at a convention called Gen Con, there is an in-person Axis and Allies tournament, and people fly from all over the world to Indianapolis to play a table game. So go ahead and bust out all your judgment, all your rage, down that nose, look way down that nose at people like me who like playing Axis and Allies. But guys, think of how much money is spent. And some of the league champions are, are, are Dutch. Like they literally imagine living in the Netherlands and you fly to Indianapolis annually. Okay. How much of your income is going into this? Actually, it would be good for our souls to just 
hang out at Sacramento Convention Center. Maybe you can just do it on the website. Look at every event that comes into a convention center, and most of the time you will go, holy cow, there's a convention for that? Get a life. Over and over. Why? Why are you saying get a life? Because it's not your thing. It's not your cup of tea. But then you scroll down and you go, oh, look at that. Look what's coming up. Why? Because that was your cup of tea. A few months from now, there's a convention that, that is, that's your thing. But since it's your thing and you just, the last four events, you said, get a life. That means there are lots and lots of people out there looking at your thing, going, get a life. Everybody gives their first and best to something. I give it to my spouse because I genuinely love my spouse. Maybe if you're Christ or something. Maybe I give my first and best to the relationship because I want happiness for myself. Give my first and best to my kids. Maybe, I mean, Jesus could do that. Maybe I give my first and best to my kids because I want to view myself as a good father where I'm dealing with my own daddy issues. Talk to my wife. She will testify. The number of things that my children receive as blessing and they, they could think, oh, dad loves me. And I'm like, mm, maybe dad has had a chip on his shoulder for 25, 30 years and that's why he said yes to the ice cream cone. Yeah. I spend money on stuff for my kids, for me, yeah. because I'm an idolater. Yeah. I'm an idolater. You will give your first and your best to something you already do, you already are. If you're married, your spouse knows what it is. Tragically, if you're a parent, your kid knows what it is. You are already worshiping. You are already serving. Our core value as a church is that we serve God and we serve others. And when we say God, that's God, capital G, the God of the Bible who demands everything and paradoxically gives everything in response. Actually, he's already given his son first, and then he asks for us to give everything in response. You're going to worship. So find all the deities, carefully assess how they treat their worshipers. How is money treating its worshipers? Does money ever betray its worshipers? Does the corporate ladder ever betray its worshipers? Does consumerism ever betray its worshipers? Like, Islam gives zero promise of heaven, even if you go blow yourself up because you got radicalized. There's nothing in Muslim doctrine that promises heaven to its adherents. So, no, I'm, I'm not going to back off when I keep saying investigate Christianity. The offer is better, it's just better. Serve God, and that's why it's listed first. If you love and worship and serve God, you can now serve people the way you ought. So let's talk about serving others. Your next blank for the note takers. If God can humble himself to serve, so can I. If God can humble himself to serve, so can I. Go with me to Matthew 20. Matthew 20, starting at verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. 
She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? By the way, just in case you've never heard this before, he is telling them when he takes the seat of honor and ties this immediately to the, to the cup of suffering, he is saying, I am going to be high and exalted above the cosmos because of my cross. The Father is going to give me all authority in heaven and on earth, right? Coming up in eight chapters, Matthew 28. All authority, all honor, all glory is coming to him because of his cross. In the book of Revelation, he's worthy to open the seal, break the seal and open the scroll because of his scars. And they're asking for honor, what? Because they followed him around in, dust, in a dusty armpit of an empire for three and a half years? Well, this is really hard. We've been walking a long way, Jesus. And they're asking for honor. You and I do this all the time, by the way. God, I want this, because I've been working really hard. <laughs> okay. So we're not better than James and John. Oh, yes, we are able of this cup of suffering. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. Isn't this crazy that the second person of the Trinity has the humility to know his role, but James and John don't? He's saying, this isn't my right, this is the Father's. Wow. My Father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Verse 24, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, a sermon about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. This is not nearly as offensive to you and me as it was to them. <laughs> they were first century Jews. They knew what a rabbi-disciple relationship was. We are trying to become like our rabbi, and the rabbi is saying, you have it entirely backwards. I came to serve, not to be served. If you can be served, that means you have needs or weakness or insufficiency of some type. Jesus doesn't have that. Right? He has a limited amount of brokenness and weakness and insufficiency that he took on purposefully. He became flesh, he became weak, so that he could be tempted by sin. And there are times where it says angels ministered to him. He took on... so. I'm not supposed to reference alcohol because we're a church, but there was this hilarious Dos Equis commercial about 10 years ago. You guys remember those commercials, The Most Interesting Man in the World? One of those commercials, he said about him, he had an awkward moment once just to see what it felt like. <laughs> those are all basically ripping off of Chuck Norris jokes, by the way. But Jesus, his knowledge, his firsthand knowledge of weakness was something he chose his firsthand knowledge of being tempted by sin, he chose that. Yeah. He says, guys, I'm here to give to you. I took on weakness to give. 
You need me to be tempted by every sin and to say no to sin so that I can hand you my righteousness when I go to the cross. You need me to be weak. Guys, service begins with weakness, and it's purposeful, chosen weakness. I choose to subject myself to this. I choose to have a little less money. I choose to have a little less time. I choose to have a little less privilege. I'm willingly giving it away so that I can serve you. That's where service starts. Because my rabbi said so. And I'm trying to become like him. If God can humble himself to serve, so can I. Who who do I think I am? Who do I think I am if Jesus can humble himself? Secondly, I do not have Christ's thinking until I serve. I do not have Christ's thinking until I serve. Philippians 2. Let's go. Philippians 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? These are all rhetorical questions, by the way. Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Sorry, yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You ready? Here it comes. You must have the same attitude, depending on your translation, the same mind. Your mind's attitude, the stance of your thinking, you must have the same stance that Christ had. Oh, Jesus had a particular stance in his thinking? And then he busts out what's probably a first century hymn of some type or a poem. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He had it. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. We like verses 9 through 11 a lot more where he's exalted and things go well for him, right? Verses 9 through 11 are awesome, but how did Jesus get there? He willingly humbled himself, and God exalted him. That's actually how it works. Particularly the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks so much about blessings for loving, honoring, and serving God rightly. God wants to bless you, um, I know that I, one of the weaknesses in my preaching and shepherding of you guys, I don't talk about the blessings of God nearly enough because our country is filled with hucksters who say the word blessing a lot and they're always asking for an offering. And it makes me angry. But people abusing certain Bible teaching doesn't mean that there's not a right way to teach it. And I'm sure that I have pendulum swung the other, other way and, and not done a good job letting you know. Do you know that your Father in Heaven wants to bless you? Yes. Are you comfortable, here's the faith piece, are you comfortable within His wisdom if all of that blessing is in the new heavens and the new earth and not necessarily here? Are you comfortable with that? Do you trust Him? He wants, there are so many biblical examples where He blesses somebody in the moment. It absolutely happens. There are times, ready for your mind to be blown, 
There are times, David in particular, where God blesses somebody by doing something good for their great-great-great-grandson. Wait, God, you said you were going to bless me, but I've been dead for 400 years. <laughs> you know, like, we, we have to trust his wisdom on what he means when he says blessing. Yeah. How and when and why. Like, but he wants to bless and encourage the right worship of him because the right worship of him isn't just what gives him glory. It's what gives us greatest human flourishing. He wants to encourage that. Every parent sees something good and claps and says, yay, good job. Every parent does that. Every parent does that. And then this is in your notes. In case you don't have notes, I want to read this. Christ's mind, heart, hands, feet, and side continue to serve the world to this day in 2022 as he offers forgiveness of sins to anyone who believes. Christ has been serving the world really since eternity passed. When he had a plan to save humanity, he took on flesh to save humanity, and he's continuing to offer forgiveness to humanity. He is still serving. We serve a serving God. Amen. If he did not serve us, we wouldn't even be a people. We would have no hope. He served us first and best. And then for the sake of time, I'm not going to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I'm going to have you believe me or go research it yourself. Spiritual gifts tell me that I was saved to serve. <laughs> Bible actually says it. Go to, go to 1 Corinthians 12 on your own time. Spiritual gifts tell me that I was saved to serve. He didn't just say, Lazarus, wake up. He, in bringing me to life, he put me into a family and gave everyone in that family gifts to serve each other and build each other up. Okay, yeah. so I want to talk as a central illustration for today, uh, I want a, a hanger, I want to hang all of these ideas on, is this idea that really bothered me. I was 20 years old, sitting in a staff meeting, I was a youth pastor, and heard this illustration that really bothered me. We talked at that staff meeting about being a hospital church. It wasn't this church. Being a hospital church. And I was so young and dumb and couldn't think it through. I, I did not know what it was that bothered me. I just knew that it bothered me. There was something not quite right. And a million years later, I finally figured it out. So I want to talk about it. First off, just to be gracious to everyone, every illustration breaks down at some point. Okay? So let's just all breathe out. Every illustration breaks down at some point, okay? Even if it's a really good illustration. What I felt like I was hearing 17 years ago was that the church exists for people who are hurting and broken, and they come in here and get their needs met, and as soon as they're okay, we kick them out. You're not hurting anymore? Awesome. Skedaddle. <laughs> because in the end, a hospital is very consumeristic. I don't think about a hospital at all when I'm not in pain. I don't know about you guys. Do you want ARCF to be a place that nobody thinks about until bad stuff happens? Or do you want it to be a family where we always think about each other? You know what I mean? I don't want this church to be off your radar until something bad happens. That's tragic spiritually for you. That's tragic for the church. And I think what's worse is 
we, even if we do a really good job helping you and, and helping you find healing, we, we did not invite you into the mission of the kingdom if we just say, okay, we're done now. We got you the healing you need. We're done. To, to take that illustration and make it slightly better, imagine a field hospital that's less than 20 miles from the front lines in a major war. You were a soldier. You got hurt. We got you safely back here. We're going to get you healed. And you're going back to the front line. I'm in the Lord's army. Imagine a hospital here in town where you got a terrible car accident and they took you in there and they got you feeling better and when your body is starting to feel better, they start bringing you books. Oh, some easy reading? No, you're in med school now. What? You just got into the program. You're going to be an RN. Are you serious? Yes. This is going to take years and take a lot of work and a lot of commitment. This changed my entire life. Oh, you're starting to understand Christianity. Christianity is not a thing I do for 75 minutes on a Sunday. It is an entirely new life. You are a new creation. I am a new creation. The old Greg is dead. He is nailed to the cross. Imagine going to the hospital for the first time and they hand you books and you're going to now become a registered nurse. They just recruited you. I, I saved you to recruit you, says Jesus. Says Jesus. How many nurses and doctors would there be? If everyone who went into a hospital got trained to be a some fill some kind of role, you could probably heal the world. I don't know. Like the church is working to do. Because we are saved to serve. Amen. We're not saved. We, we, like, Jesus didn't do that so we could keep acting as consumers. He saved us to give us an entirely new identity. We're like, I'm not a consumer. God is the consuming fire, Hebrews says. Amen. Huh. So, some practical application, including a blank for those of you that love the blanks. And then we're going to do one announcement and dismiss. Discover how God built you by trying out a summer volunteer position. Discover how God built you by trying out a summer volunteer position. That's, that's a call to action for today. Um, I don't want to throw shade. If, if God used one of those spiritual gifts assessments to bless you, praise the Lord. But those things do not come directly out of Scripture. They're somebody trying to do their very best to help you. But you know what undeniably is going to give you more information about yourself? Jump in and serve and see if the Lord blesses it if, in your effectiveness and see what the saints around you say. The saints will be able to go, man, God put you on earth to do that. Amen. The saints will know. Yep. Sometimes you dive in, you say, I'm, I was born to sing, and you end up on the stage and you sing, and the saints will go, God has called you to children's ministry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just happened to me? It didn't happen to you? Oh, okay. So... We're going to get super practical. Those of you, who considers yourself a, an action person? Like, please, less talking. I just want to go do, awesome, you just volunteered yourselves. So here's the deal. I need, and it's okay if it's two or three people, I need somebody who will raise their hand right now and take point on a project. Melissa, thank you guys. 
Melissa purchased six or seven ring cameras that need to be installed around the property. I need somebody, and they are literally in the office right now. I need somebody who says, I will take those, coordinate with Melissa, and I'll find a time when I can install those. Are you the guy? Thank you. See, guys, we did the preaching, and then we responded to the preaching. Hallelujah! Woo! Okay. Two other things I want to mention to you briefly before talking about Bible Day Camp for you guys to turn your ears off and try not to listen to me. So, was that too honest? No? Okay. Summer greeter team, summer usher team. Greeters, I just want to say thank you to a bunch of you. Before lockdown, we had a pretty decent greeter team. Uh, If you have not been new to a church in a while, I want to ask you to go back there emotionally, what it feels like. Even if you already know Jesus, it's very intimidating to park your car over here and walk, and where do I go, and I don't know anybody. It is an unbelievably caring and hospitable thing just to put a lanyard around your neck and put a smile on your face. Okay? So this week, if you reach out to me through email, like, oh, for sure, sign me up. But this week, I'm going to be working to organize and get together a team. And all I'm asking you for is the summer. I'm asking for people to rotate every other week at the start of service to come out there and just, even just one person would be an improvement. We need to get back on the horse, so to speak, from, from after lockdown and start welcoming people. People don't even know which building they're supposed to walk into. That, that happens all the time. People don't know which building to walk into. Uh, so I'm going to be working on that this week. Uh, summer usher team. I'm going to be asking you guys this week in recruiting, we need probably two more people. It's okay if the team is bigger than that. But people who also have a spirit of hospitality that love, Glenn's doing it right now, if you're willing to sit or stand in a place where you're just kind of looking over the room and the whole service long, you're going, are there any needs? If you're like me, you're terrible at that because I can't walk and chew gum. Like Melissa's up here singing and I'm sitting there going, oh, I love this song or whatever. I'm just lost in the moment. But if you can multitask even a tiny bit, Somebody who's going to help somebody find a seat if they need to. Oh, I love to hand out a Bible. Oh, they didn't get sermon notes. I'd be thrilled to do that. Uh, oh, people are leaving and there's a little trash behind. I'll pick it up real quick. Just a practical servanthood. I'm going to be working this week to try to get two or three more people to join Glenn. Glenn's doing a great job. Yeah. He shouldn't have to do all of it. True. That was a sermon right there. Yep. Man, that was a good sermon. Good. Glenn shouldn't have to do all of it. Yep. I'm going to put that on Twitter. That was such an amazing sermon. Okay. Now... The part where you're going to try to do this and say, la, 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 la. Okay. Bible day camp is one of the most important evangelistic opportunities in the life of this church, period. I want to explain to you what's on the line. Here's what's on the line. Two things I'm going to talk about. Number one, you have the opportunity, ARCF, to make sure that a precious, treasured image bearer has a positive experience the first time they set foot on a church property. There's that saying, I I may not remember what they said, but I'll always remember how they made me feel. You may only get to share the gospel once during Bible Day Camp this year, and that's beautiful and powerful all on its own. But if there are human beings who live in our city that because of us, their first time at church was a positive experience where they felt loved and cared for, that's a win. That's a win. And you can make children feel cared for by filling up Dixie cups with a snack. You don't have to parse Greek verbs in doing the Bible teaching. No? You guys aren't going to parse Greek verbs with the kids? Oh, man. Secondly, not only can you give somebody a positive emotional experience the first time they're at church, 
something that should scare all of us. Jesus told us, and he doesn't lie, Jesus told us that kids' faith is stronger than ours. Period. You and I, we go off to college and we think we're smart and we start doubting everything except our own doubts. Jesus said, children, trust me better than you grown-ups do. And if we can't take what Jesus said and put it into our ministry model, we're fools. How precious, I'm one of them, how precious to hear the gospel at an age you're so young that you're not arrogant enough to fight it. How precious. So, Ms. Sherry, our kids director, has put a very subtle, small sign. I want you guys to all look back. You're going to have to really squint. It's going to be very difficult for you to find the sign-up table. (laughs) But we're running super long, so here's the last thing I want to say before I pray. When your staff ask for volunteers and we get an initial surge and then we keep asking and keep asking and and we feel like we've hit a plateau, okay? That means that the people who have not yet come and said, I can help in this way or I can't do it at that time but I could come early and I could help with this or I could come later and pick up trash. We've hit a plateau and we still need more. So do you know what that means? This is is my encouragement to you for, for any and all service. Some of us in the room already have a reason in our mind or in our heart of why we have not signed up. And we need to take the reason and put that reason in the trash can just to the left of the sign-up table. That's why the trash... No, I'm serious. I'm serious, right? Doubt your own doubts for a minute. You've said to yourself, oh, I'm on vacation that week. I'm out of state. That's not good enough. If you come to Sherry and say, I could give you a little bit of time beforehand or a little bit of time after, she will find a way that you could be a blessing, I promise. Right? If you say, I can't do that because I hate children, don't out yourself. You can hide in the kitchen and just deal with food to the glory of God. And don't tell yourself that it's going to children. You're just like, this is for the senior adults ministry. I like them. You know, whatever you have to tell yourself. Okay? So I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much that you are inside the heart and life of every saint and you're teaching us, God, how to serve. Uh, Without your leadership, there is no hope, Lord. So we thank you in advance, God, believing you're going to continue to make servants out of us. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, Amen. amen. One announcement, and then I can finally get you over late to pick up your kids and grandkids. Sunset Cinema was supposed to be this Friday night. I don't know if you've seen the forecast. It's going to be 104. So it does not matter how much you love your friends and how hard you work to invite them. It's just probably not going to work. So we are indefinitely postponing that outreach event. We're going to take a crack at it in the fall when the weather calms down, okay? So Sunset Cinema, if you, I know a number of you had said and you have already invited friends. I'm going to make sure it's clear on Facebook. Hey, guys, we're so sorry we had to postpone. It's just going to be too hot. Okay? I love you guys. Have a great week.